Okay, today's daf is Pei, Baba Kama 80, and we pick up at the bottom of Ayinter Amud Bet, and an interesting Mishnah to wrap up uh, Maruba, maybe wrapping up uh, a lot of the uh, stuff before about all types of damages and stealing, and here are some general takanot uh, or rules that the rabbis put in place uh, for society in order to protect people's property. Let's take a look. You do not raise behema uh, daka, which refers to sheep and goat, in Israel. Why? Because sheep and goat are grazing animals, and they can, you know, destroy the vegetation. They can, and uh, particularly in a place like Israel, where it does not have a lot of grass um, and vegetation, they can be uh, very destructive. Um, and therefore, it was completely forbidden to raise them uh, in Eretz Israel. But you can raise them in Syria, like Syria, uh, areas that uh, at various times were, you know, had Jewish settlements in the time of the Mishnah, and in the uh, forests of Israel. Uh, because they are apparently there, the damage that they would do would be relatively minor. Um, okay. Um, the... Um you cannot raise chickens in Jerusalem because chickens, you know, are pecking all, all over the place and they will be bringing um, different types of uh, bugs from like the, uh, the garbage dumps. And because there are meat of sacrifices and all over Yerushalayim and other types of kudshim all over Yerushalayim, they, this, they will become tamay. So it's too much of a hazard. And Kohanim cannot raise chickens um, anywhere in Israel because they have truma outside of Yerushalayim. They have things that have to keep tahor and the uh, chickens will, make, will uh, you know, be bringing things from the garbage dump or whatever, which will make it tamay. You should not raise pigs in any place. Um, and... Uh, um, we will see the reason in the Gabar. It's not just if they're non-kosher animals, then it would have sort of said any non-kosher animals. Um, so th- whether in Israel or out of Israel, you can't raise pigs. And don't raise a dog unless it was, you know, chained down. We had a Mishnah somewhat similar to this earlier on, and that's sort of a, a concern, obviously, that the dog will go out and uh, bite somebody and uh, injure somebody. Okay. Um, Rashi also says that it will bark and it will scare somebody out of fright and could lead to a miscarriage. Um, you do not uh, you know, uh, lay out traps for, uh, for pigeons. Unless it was 30 reese out of the town, out of where play, people were dwelling. 30 reese is, Rashi says, four meal, which is about four kilometers. Um, and because you do not want to inadvertently be catching somebody else's pigeons. You can catch wild ones, but not somebody else's pigeons. Okay, interesting collection of things to sort of wrap up uh, the first seven prakim. Let's take a look at the Gemara. You do not raise um, small animals. Again, specifically, it refers to sheep and goat in Israel, but you can raise them in the, um, you know, in the forests. Um, and in Surya, um, uh, you can do it even in the um, even in the um, settled area. Uh, I want to apologize. I think in the Mishnah I said mid barot um, barot me. I jumped ahead and I used. I was referring to the Gemara that said forests. Mid barot does not refer to deserts in the Mishnah. Mid barot refers to like animals, like you know when you're driving out in the Judean hills. That's considered mid barot places that there's not much vegetation. 
often, but at certain times of the years, you know, when you're driving out in the Judean hills, you'll often see um, uh, like uh, shepherds, you know, uh, uh, Bedouins and whatever shepherds, you know, with their sheep and goat and their vegetation crops up at certain types of the year. And that's a place for grazing. Um, and uh, it, we're not concerned that there it will cause damage. So Mibarot are okay. And the four that's in the Mishnah. And the forests are okay, all right? Um, okay, but in, in Surya, you can even do it even in where people are settled because you're not concerned about the, you know, land in Surya. Um, I mean, if you damage the land, you know, that's your own property or obviously you have to be careful. And Tosis discusses a general concern about grazing and grazing in other people's lands. That's not the concern here. So obviously you have to, you know, be careful never to go in other people's lands. And if you want to damage your own property, that's your business and presumably public land were not uh, seen as a um, concern or not enough of a concern to make a gzeir and a takanan to prevent people from doing it, except in Israel, where they obviously had a high uh, motivation to try to protect the quality of the land. Um, uh, Okay. And if we are not going to be concerned about Surya, which borders on Israel to sometimes, some degree might have some kedusha, which is a different discussion, then certainly in real chutzlaretz, there will be no problem raising uh, sheep and goats. Tanya Ida with another brisa. Ain megadlin behem adaka beretz Yisrael. Avam megadlin b'midbar she b'huda b'midbar she b'safar ako. Okay, then this is going back to the Mishnah, which is the midbarot. Okay, you do not raise small animals in Israel, but you can raise them in the Judean uh, hills. You know the Judean uh, more more dry land, and similar in the midbar that is by the border of Akko. Vavo bishamoni megadlin behem adaka. And even though they said this about small animals, avam megadlin behem agasa. You can raise large animals like cows and. The this would also presumably, it sounds from Rashi, include donkeys and horses, anything that's not sheep and goats. Why? Because that would be something that would not be tolerable by the broader community. You don't make an edict that the community cannot stand by. Why can the community not stand by it? If small animals you can bring, meaning why would you want a sheep? You would want it for the wool or, you know, maybe the milk, you know, um, and which you make cheese out of. Um, and to eat, okay? So all of that stuff you can import um, and you don't have to raise it yourself. Um, uh, that you can do, but a large animal you can't bring from chutzarts. Now, why not? Because we're not just talking about meat and milk. You know, we're talking about cows for plowing and donkey, horses for riding and donkeys for, you know, for beasts of burden and mules and so on. So those things you cannot prohibit, but the sheep and goat, at least you can try to prohibit. How successful this was is not clear. Okay. Um, Even though you're not allowed to raise them, you know, you're allowed to purchase them and before the, uh, before Yantav, because Yantav, you know, that's when you would have meat. You wouldn't normally have it during the year. Maybe you'd have chicken, you know, and people, how often people slaughter a cow, but, you know, so a small animal, like a sheep or goat, that you might have for Yantav, so you can buy it and therefore, and you're allowed to buy it within 30 days before. That's not considered raising, even though you're going to have to feed it for those 30 days. It's only maximum 30 days, and therefore we will allow you. We don't force you to buy it the day before Yontif. And again, if there's other reasons, you know, you're going to have, your son is, is getting married, so you are allowed to buy these animals. You're not only buy the meat, you're allowed to buy the live animals, and you have 30 days before the event. Okay? But not longer, that would be considered getting into the category of raising the animals. Now, you 
you cannot let the last one, meaning if you brought a couple of animals um, and, you know, for yantav, then, and you didn't maybe buy them all at the same time, you can't sort of say, well, the last one I bought 10 days before yantav, I get 20 days till after yantav. No. Okay, and now the Gemara explains what that means, and here clearly you'll see the shift to Aramaic. This is the Gemara's gloss on this. I would have thought to say, um, that even if the regel uh, is over, but maybe even if after the regel is over, if from the time you bought it until now it's not 30 days, maybe, don't think that you have 30 days to, you know, if you bought it before the regel, you have 30 days from the time you purchased it regardless. No, that's not true. Once the regel is over, you don't have a right to do it. So you can buy it up to 30 days before the regel, but once the regel is over, you are no longer allowed to be holding on to it. Um, okay, top of Pam Aleph. And a butcher can go ahead and purchase it and shaft, obviously turn it right into meat. And he's also allowed to, um, you know, purchase it and not shaft it right away. As long as you don't allow the aguna, which is an interesting word, the last one, 30 days. It's an interesting question what this means. Rashi says 30 days before the shuk. Tosus just says it just means, you know, 30 days before, you know, before you are, um, you know, it's not referring specifically to a shuk. Nobody mentioned like a special market day. Um, and it just means that um, the, that you can't, you know, you have to sell them or shecht them within 30 days. And aguna here means, at least according to Tosfos, it means the one that's left alone after you sell all the rest. All right. Um, and um, so that's like an aguna, although aguna usually comes from the word ogen, which means like an anchor and a woman who's chained. Here we're understanding it to mean the last one. Okay. Second line from the top, Pam and Aleph. Show to me if it's Reglam Liel. Reglam students asked him, are you allowed to like raise, you know, small animals? Mutter, you're allowed. Fatanan ain't megadlin, but it says you're not allowed to raise sheep and goat. No, no, no. So this must be what they what they asked him. Malishahos, are you allowed to not raise them, but purchase them and keep them around for you know a certain period of time until you're ready to use them? Mutter, it's it's permitted. As long as you don't go ahead and bring it out and have it graze, meaning so you can you know you can uh, you feed it at home, but even when you're allowed to have it there for thirty days, if presumably we're talking in the same context as before. Tosos assumes it's the same context as before, like before the regel. He's not arguing, and he's just clarifying that when you're allowed to buy it before using it, um, you can't go ahead and graze it. You, have, you can bring it food, but you can't bring it out to graze. Elokosha um, bakariamita, you tie it to the to the legs of the bed. Um, you know, Tosos says again that this is not meaning literally it has to be that way, but that was a common thing they did. The basic point is don't take it out to graze. Um, so Tosos says he's qualifying, he's limiting the permission of buying like it before your, you know, before yunt of 30 days. Um, Rashi says that he's actually being more lenient and he would allow, even without a special circumstance, because no special circumstance is mentioned here, he would allow you to buy it as long as you make sure not to, not to graze it. Okay. 
a certain righteous person, you know, had this, uh, was groaning from his heart, and they asked the doctors what to do. He has to suckle boiling milk from, from morning to morning, meaning whether it means directly suckle it from, you know, the animal itself, or as soon as you express the milk from the animal, drink it right away while it's still boiling. But that's what he has to do. You know, it has the body temperature of the animal while it's still hot, right after it came out of the animal. Vivilo um, A's, so they brought him a goat, and they tied it to the leg of the bed, just like Rebbe Gamliel said before. So certainly, according to Rashi, this is in line with Rebbe Gamliel, you know, and he had a, certainly a need for this. It shouldn't be worse than the whole Shloshim Yom before the Regel, um, although this will be ongoing, but nevertheless, he's, you know, there's a legitimate need and he's not taking it out to have it graze. Um, okay. Um, and he would uh, suckle from it from morning to morning. Sounds like directly from the animal. Okay. And then some of his friends came to, uh, to visit him. Maybe they heard he was sick. They saw this goat tied up to the leg of the bed. They, they, they recoiled backwards. There's an armed bandit in this house, and maybe the listus mezuyan has to do with also what it's doing in Maruba. These animals are considered like robbers, and, you know, they're armed robbers. You know, they're armed with their teeth, I guess. Okay? This person has an armed robber in his house. Um, we should go sit with him. So, you know, we should go into this house. You know, this thing is like a danger to the whole, you know, landscape of Israel, and we have to totally, you know, be off it. And again, maybe that's why it's chasidecha, maybe a normal person would be okay. You know, one really wonders how different is it than the case before about buying it before the regal, okay? He's not bringing it outside and so on. But maybe for chasid and maybe for his friends, this was like, had to be totally taboo, totally off limits. Um, they went and they exa- examined. I don't know why they're examining, but they thought like, oh, maybe we uh, were wrong to be friends with him. We thought he was so righteous. But nope, they found that this was the only thing that he had ever done wrong. Um, and even when he was dying, he said, I know I have no other sin except this goat, which I went against the words of my friend. Now, going against the words of my friends does not sound like it's objective objectively, you know, totally usser. So it seems here the Gemara does not really explicate this, but it seems here we're dealing with some, you know, gray area where obviously, you know, my God, and if the guy was like pikuach nefesh or something, but even if he was just sick, you know, you could certainly understand that, but maybe it's saying it's nas midas chasidus. Okay. I'm a Rebbe Shmel, said Rebbe Shmel, my father's house was, or some say, my father's house was from the, uh, you know, one of the uh, homeowners, wealthy people in the Upper Galilee. Um, and why did their, you know, was there, did they lose their wealth and was their homes destroyed? Or the whole, maybe, area, not just my father. That they would go ahead and they would, um, you know, have their uh, animals graze in the uh, in the desert. And the excuse me, I keep on flipping. They graze in the forests. Okay, we're going to see what the problem is. We are, the mission says you're allowed to graze in the forest. And they would, you know, judge as an individual. And uh, you know, they're halachically, technically, there's allowed to be a dayan yachid to be dayan dini mamnes, but it's not appropriate. It's things get discussed in Sanhedrin. And even though they had, uh, you know, forests near their 
home, so what's the problem? They were only going into the forest, that's allowed. There's a tiny little field and they would cross over it and would the problem be either that the goats or the sheep would graze in that field or they would cross through it without permission, okay? And that's why my whole father's house um, would, um, you know, that they, they lost all their wealth, their home was destroyed again, and, and because, even though, uh, because they were not uh, super punctilious about these things. Okay, Tanar Banan. Uh, if a uh, shepherd does tshuva, and now we're going to the other point, and Tosus raises this, and the Gemara here is not really touching on it, but a more general problem of shepherds, you know, a concern that they will bring their sheep and goats and graze in lands that are not theirs, and it's a problem of gezel. That's really not what's being discussed here at all. It's the concern about the landscape. But okay, but here we're talking about that, yes, he grazes his sheep in other people's lands, and now he decides he wants to do tshuva. I don't know how you exactly compute the value of everything that, uh, you know, he did, but somehow you figure out what that is, and he has to pay back the people that he grazed in their lands. So you don't obligate him to pay everything back at once. You know, even if he has the money, you don't go ahead and, like, you know, you, you bankrupt him in order to pay back everybody. You allow him to sell a little bit at a time. You know, also maybe he would have to sell all of his sheep, but people see that he's desperate for funds, and then they take advantage of him. So it's sort of like, you know, bankruptcy, you know, you, uh, where, where you figure out how to do it in a way that the debtors get paid back, the creditors get paid back, um, and he does not go poor, and maybe also is able to get better price for his stuff so everybody gets paid back um, and doesn't ruin him. Okay. And similarly, if a ger, you know, he inherited from his non-Jewish father dogs or, uh, or pigs, and we're not allowed to raise dogs or pigs like we taught in the Mishnah, so he's going to have to sell it. You don't force him to get rid of him immediately, then he'll have to, you know, we won't be able to make as much money from it. So this is a little different. Here, you know, I mean, on the one hand, he didn't do anything wrong. On the other hand, like, you know, it's not like, are people going to get paid back or not? Is he going to go get poor or not? Nevertheless, you know, you allow him time so that he can do it at a way that he can get full price for it. Um, and, um, you know, and is able to arrange his, affa- his finances accordingly. Okay. Somebody made a neder in order to, to um, purchase a house or to get ma- marry a woman in Eretz Yisrael. It's funny that that's an example. Somebody would make that type of a neder. Okay. Um, sort of like making a neder to make aliyah. You don't obligate them to purchase the house immediately or to marry a woman, the first woman that they find. Um, um, until you find the, you know, the house that's the right house for you to live in and the woman that's the right woman for you to marry, obviously speaking to the man. Okay, now, but now we're going to get a story about a woman. Um, so again, all these things are you give people time in order to do it in the best possible way. Um, and the last case about a nether is particularly interesting because maybe the language of the nether might have suggested, you know, more immediacy. And actually, we're going to see a case where it actually sounds like that. Sounds like that. Let's take a look. There was a story about a particular woman that she had a young child. She was like a, it seems like a widowed woman and she, or divorced, and she had a young child and, the, you know, and she needed to be married. She couldn't handle the child, so she desperately wanted to be married. The cuffs of an ishba, she jumped up and she took a shvua. 
Machsirasa. Whoever comes and proposes to me, I will not refuse him. The Kaftu Lebanonim Shainam Hog Muganim. So there's a Kaftsan Kaftsu. So men that were not fit jumped up and proposed to her. Um, and you know, people that were not good matches. So you might think, she said, I, anybody who does it, I won't refuse him. You know, that's more than just the previous case of a netter to marry a woman or to buy a house in Israel. There, there was no time frame or whatever. You didn't say which house, which woman. Here, the, says, I won't refuse anyone. And nevertheless, came to the sages. She only was referring to, if I get an appropriate proposal, I will say yes. Not an inappropriate one. Okay, so if even in that case where she said, I won't say no, and we mean she means no to a reasonable offer, then certainly in the case of the house and the woman, when he just does it Israel, you can wait till you find a proper one. Okay. The same way you cannot raise a small, uh, you know, behema, you cannot raise a small chayadaka, like a more uh, uh, untamed animal. Rashi says that this re- refers to tzvayim vishualim, foxes and like deer. Um, okay, I guess, I don't know, I suppose that they also are grazing animals. I mean, deer, yes, I didn't know about foxes. Anyway, Rabbi Omer, Megadlin, Maybe Shmuel or some say, but Shimon Lezer says, kufrim, you can raise village dogs, v'chatulim, and cats, v'kofin, and uh, uh, monkeys, v'chudotz na'im, and chudotz uh, na'im, a certain type of like weasel or something, weasel of the, um, of the snare, of the, um, uh, you know, of a, of a, of a thorn bush. Um, in the uh, Koran uh, uh, version of the uh, Gemara, they say here, uh, th- let me say, they, have a, they, they call it a chodotz na'im, they call it genets or genets. From the description of the Gemara, this animal be identified as the common genet. This creature, which is biologically similar to the mongoose, is the size of a small cat and has a long tail and very short legs. This animal usually lived in forested mountains as its flexible body allows it to climb easily on trees and rocks. The genet feeds on small animals such as birds and small rodents. Due to its great dexterity in catching mice, it was often kept in houses. And we will see about that in a second. Okay. Um, um, okay. Um, so let's take a look. So, um, okay. Okay, like we just said, because they clean out the house, they eat up the rodents and the mice, and they keep the house clean, so those animals are permissible, don't call those a chayadaka, or maybe they are a chayadaka, but we allow them. Okay, my chudos na'im, what are these weasels of the, of the, of, of the thorn bushes? I'm going to have you so sheret is like a you know a, a, a vermin and um, and chartsa um, so uh, um, you're not exactly clear what this word chartsa means but anyway that's the name of it chartsa chartsa um, maybe chartsa is a type of a thorn bush or something okay the um, igadami and some say charza okay it's the, it's called charza maybe chartsa charza and what does that mean tiktini shakye that it's got a small or short like legs. Viraya Beni Vardine, and it uh, it grazes uh, between thorn bushes. Um, okay, Umay um, Sharza, and now what's Sharza? If you if that's what you call it, or um, actually Tosa says Sharza refers to something that's not a Sharza Harza, a normal Sharza, which is not allowed. Dimitate Shake that its legs are. Um, its legs or its thighs are like wide or very short. 
um, and therefore it looks like it's slithering, which is more the shartza. This, the legs are more, you know, thin um, and not so short, and therefore it uh, looks more like an animal and less slithering. Okay, whatever. But that's what this is. So now, when we came in Bavel, we've treated ourselves like Eretz Yisrael regarding small animals. We extended the prohibition of grazing animals even to Bavel. Now, that's quite fascinating because even though, you know, so many Jews were living in Bavel, um, the majority of the Jews in the Gemara's period, um, but nevertheless, um, it's not like it has the Kedush of Eretz Yisrael. It's not our homeland. Maybe it's our adopted homeland, you know? And so the concern for that, for the uh, for the landscape and you know, uh, um, and for the general um, um, you know uh, 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 environment and the land in Bavel to apply this gzera and to restrict people is pretty significant. Okay, now the, there's an interesting question of what asinu atzmenu means. Does it mean that it was a new thing that we did? That's what it sounds like. Or does it mean we realize that this was something that always should have been from the time of the Mishnah? Here it sounds, you know, there's a similar discussion in Gittin about a whole different issue where it might sound like it means like we are claiming that even from the time of the Mishnah, Bavel has the same status of Eretz Yisrael. It doesn't sound that way here, okay? It sounds like this was a new decision. So Avada Barava said to Rav Huna, so now if it applies in Bavel, so he said to Rav Huna, what's your story? How is it that you have uh, small, sh- how is it that you have sheep and goat in your house? So, Amalei, Didon, come into Relihu Chova. No, our small sheep and, uh, our sheep and goat, Chova, my wife watches. Amalei, he said back to him, Chova, to Kabrina Hulivna. Chova should bury her children, which is horrific to say such a thing, a type of a curse. How dare you do that? You know, and if if that's what she's doing, she should bury her children. Now, Tosa tries to soften it a little, which is sort of saying, like, does she want to bury her children by, you know, she's spending all of her time watching the sheep and the goat. Who's watching the kids? You know, so, but but he, so that's a nice way to soften it. But nevertheless, because he said those words, they had an impact. And then the Gemara said, Kula Shanya de Ravada Barava, as long as Ravada Barava was alive after he had said those words, Loikayim Zara the Ravhuna Mechova. Ravhuna did not have a, a child that survived from Chova. Totally horrific story. Oh my God. Um, and this was all a new edict to apply this in Bavel. It's, more, it's less about transgressing this edict and more about the power of the words um, of Ravhuna and being careful about our words. Um, okay. Igadami, some say, Amar Ravhuna Marav. So this was not a statement of, uh, of it wasn't Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Rav, it was Amar Rav Huna Amar Rav. Rav Huna, who was just the one who was raising the animals in the previous story, now he is saying it in the name of Rav. Okay, we didn't, it's not Rav is saying it, but Rav Huna is saying, and some take out the Amar Rav, he's not saying it in the name of Rav, that when did this change? When Rav came to Bavel, that's when we started to treat ourselves like Eretz Yisrael um, and uh, apply this Gezerah in Bavel as well. Okay, now we're going to have an interesting story. Rav and Shmuel of Ravasi, Rav and Shmuel and Ravasi, equal to Beishvu HaBen. They came to Abris. Um, and some and some say Yeshua Haben to a Yeshua Ben, which Rashi says is a pidyon Haben. Um, Tosus um, says that it's um, that that uh, Yeshua Ben is just is a meal. If you take a look at Tosus, Lebei Yeshua Ben, he says Pirush Kohen just pidyon Haben Aruch, and he doesn't like that that explanation. So he says Rabbeinu Tam Pirush Shenolat Sham Ben Balshem Shavlad No Shav Nimlat Mimei Mo that a, a child was born and because the child was 
sort of, um, you know, saved or whatever, you know, taken out, taken from his mother, they would do a suda, not just for a brismila, they would do a suda because a child was born. So some actually want to say that this is the source of the whole idea of a, um, you know, um, of a shalom zachar, to do a suda just for the birth um, and not specifically for the brismila. Okay, so they were going either to a brismila or a pigin aben or a shalom zachar. Okay, Rav lo ayo kamei Shmuel. Now Rav had made decision that he was not going to enter in before Shmuel. Even though Shmuel was, um, you know, more of a, uh, on a lower level than Rav, like, you know, a student, and Rav had higher, uh, you know, status, nevertheless, Rav, uh, we're going to see in a minute why, Rav would defer to Shmuel, and he would refuse to enter before Shmuel. Shmuel, I come into Ravasi. Now, Shmuel would refuse even to enter before Ravasi. Ravasi was a student of Rav, but, you know, the higher order, the hierarchy was Rav, Ravasi, and Shmuel. So Shmuel wouldn't go before Ravasi or Rav. Rav wouldn't go before Shmuel. Ravasi, lo ayel kamei to Rav, and Ravasi wouldn't go before Rav. So who's going to go first? Okay, nobody can go first. It's like the fox and the farmer, and you have to cross the uh, river. Anyway, so what are you going to do? Ami man nitrach. Who is going to be the one that's going to hold, hold back? One, you know, if all of them come to the door first, then everybody's going to say after you. So let's make it that one person stays back and, to, and, and the rest of us go to the door so we don't have to choose when we get to the front door. Nidrach Shmuel, let Shmuel stay back. When they see Rav Ravasi, and Rav, Rav and Ravasi will go, you know, Rav will go first because he's, the, he, he's at the top, of, 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 and, and then Ravasi will follow him, and then Shmuel will come, which is anyway the right order, as we're going to see, because Shmuel is considered to be at the bottom of, the, uh, of this hierarchy. So the says, Vinitrach Rava Ravasi. So why not let Rava Ravasi hang back? It should be Rava and Ravasi and let Shmuel go first. Okay. Um, so the Gemara says, or, okay, or no, I guess if one of them is hanging back. Anyway, um, so the Gemara, no, it had to be Rava and Ravasi. Anyway, Rav, Milsaba Almahuda Avidlele Shmuel, because Rav was just, you know, he, it wasn't that Shmuel was at a higher level, he was just doing him a, a courtesy. There's no question that Rav should have been the one to go first. But Rav was doing a courtesy to Shmuel. Why? Okay, there was a story that he accidentally cursed him. I mean, we just got through a story of accidentally being cursed. This Rav Chova, of, you know, Chova, the, the wife of Rav Huna. So here Rav, in another story, accidentally had cursed Shmuel. So Rav actually, uh, you know, showed this type of deference to Shmuel. But really, Rav was at the top of the hierarchy, so it made sense for Shmuel to hang back, and we would go in the right order, Rav, and then Ravasi, and then Shmuel. Okay, now, why are we talking about this? Because while they were sort of debating how we're going to do this, who's going to hang back and who's going to go first, Asa Shunra came a cat, and chopped and, and, and you know, bit off you know, the, uh, the hand of this baby that they were going for the bris or the pig in a ben. Horrific story. I mean, obviously, this does not mean like a nice tame cat. It could be like you know, a cougar or something like that. Navik Ravidoresh, so Rav went out and he, and he you know, taught the following halacha. A cat, you're allowed, a cat is dangerous, and therefore you're allowed to go ahead, anybody is allowed to go kill it, to get rid of this dangerous animal from among us. And you're not, and it's forbidden for anybody to, uh, to keep a cat. Uh, again, maybe probably means, you know, more like, a, like, a, like a, a large cat or something, or a dangerous cat, I assume. Uh, we'll see in a minute. And if somebody were to steal it, it wouldn't be gazel. And if you found it, you have no obligation to return it. 
So now the Gemara says one minute. Once you say you're allowed to kill it, you too So why do you have to tell me that it's forbidden to you know to hold it, to, to own it? Isn't that obvious? No. It's permitted for somebody to kill it, but there's no prohibition if I want to keep on owning it. You know, if you know people have permission to kill it, but nobody stopped telling me not to own it. Kamash Milan, that no, everybody is forbidden to own it. Okay, Amri. So they said, one minute. But if you're saying that there's no problem of stealing it, obviously there's no problem of obligation to return it. Now it means, let's say there's a dead cat, you know, and you don't even have to, and now you can use the, um, you know, or lion or cougar or whatever, you, the skin, you know, now that's something that can be used. But since the owner wasn't supposed to own it, you don't even have to return that to the owner and you can keep that for yourself. Okay, so we really wanted to make sure that these were, you know, gotten rid of. So now, one minute, I'll challenge you on this. We taught a brace up. What we just taught is you're allowed to have these types of small animals because they keep the house clean from, you know, vermin and rodents and, set and so on. So how could Rav go ahead and, you know, rule against this? It seems like we, it was ruled that it was permissible. So the Gemara says, Lokasha, um, it's not difficult. Differences between black and white. Okay, so white are the dangerous ones. Uh, excuse me. Uh, uh, yes, white are the dangerous ones and black are the safe ones. So the black ones are okay. What Rav was saying was that the white ones were no good. So the Gemara says, um, uh, I don't know how the Gemara knows it, but the Gemara says the story of Rav was a black one. So, I th- you know, if you're saying the black are tame, it seems like Rav is making a gzera even about the black ones. So, no. No, no, no. That was a black one that was born from a white one. Okay? So, therefore, it was still of a dangerous type. Um, who? Ravina. But one minute, didn't Ravina ask this question? You know, we know that white is no good and black is okay. What about a black one that's an offspring of a white? So, and Ravina didn't have an answer. So why is it, what, it's like obvious to Rav that it's a problem? So you could say yes, but okay. No. Ravina's question was, black, the son of a white, the son of a black. The grandfather was black. So, you know, it's coming from, it originates from a family that's black. So therefore, it's probably tamer. Does the fact that its parent was white make it a problem? But Rav's story was a case of a black that was born from a white, White, you know, from a line of white cats, and therefore it was um, uh, it was a much more dangerous one. Get how you're supposed to know is not at all clear. But anyway, bottom line is the Gemara is saying that some of these cats were dangerous and forbidden, and others were seen as legitimate to own in order to um, keep your house clean from you know mice and rats and vermin. Okay. Okay, here we go. I'm a Rabbi Acha Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Ava Bar Papa. This now is going to sound like when you make a CM. We're going to have a lot of Bar Papas. Okay, said Rabbi Acha Bar Papa in the name of Rabbi Ava Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Ada Bar Papa in the name of Rabbi Ada Bar Papa. Vamili Amar of Ava Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Chia Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Acha Bar Papa. That's another version of how of of the of the tradition. Vamili Amar of Ava Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Acha Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Chanina Bar Papa. Okay, anyway, one of these brothers was saying in the name of one and saying in the name of the other. Matriyan Alachichuch B'Shabes. You can make 
blasts over chichuch, which is a type of a um, like a type of a, 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 a blister and boils on Shabbos because you're afraid that this is going to be like contagious and it's going to spread and you'd have to do a tanis and so on. Now Rashi says the blast means with like a shofar. You know, Tosu says no. Obviously, we're not talking about that, but we are talking about that you can like do anenu and a tanis and cry out. Okay, for that on Shabbos. Now that's not relevant to us. That's more relevant for Maseches Tanis. Videlas haninelas lobim heretipatach, and a door that is closed will not quickly open. You know, you have to seize opportunity, and if you miss when you have that little opening of opportunity, you're, it's going to be really hard to uh, to find it again. So, um, you know, there's a door of opportunity that will that's closing, and you have to uh, don't think uh, you know you have to grab opportunity when it presents itself. Okay, so the door that closes will not quickly open again. Now, not by and a person who purchases a house in Eretz Yisrael, you can, um, uh, because, and this seems to be why we're bringing it here, because of our concern about Yishuv Eretz Yisrael and the Jewish settlement in Israel and keeping the land good and keeping Jews present, which is, you know, and owning homes and owning places in Israel, which is a very big concern in Mesechus of Zara. So this, that's why presumably we're quoting this here. And therefore you're allowed to write the uh, deed even on Shabbos. So that seems a little wild. So we'll get back to that in a second. Mesel challenges for sharp We teach in Tanis that when there's other bad things that are happening to the community, like this case of this chichuch, which you mentioned before, this type of blister or boil, all these different types of things about like, you know, of hornets and uh, and locust and 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 fleas and other and 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 and, and snakes vakravim and um you know and scorpions you wouldn't do matrian you would you would do tsoakim now for Rashi, the difference is between like you wouldn't do a shofar you would actually just call out in tefillah um you know for tosos it seems the difference might be between whether you would do it on shabbos or do it on the weekday but whatever matrian means you said we would be matrian and this says that we're not matrian it's not difficult the difference is whether it's uh, moist or dry. Okay, if it is moist, it is uh, considered to be, um, you know, uh, more dangerous. So let's take a look. Um, uh, the, 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 the boils that God brought to the Egyptians was moist on the outside and dry on the inside. So that's like the worst. That's the most dangerous. And therefore, that would be the one that you would be matrian, even, uh, you know, matrian, even on Shabbos. Uh, uh, the Shechin would be boiling, you know, and sprouting forth, so meaning it would be moist on the outside, but Shechin is understood to be dry on the inside. So that would be the worst, and that you could call out or blow shofar even on Shabbos. That was the first teaching. And the door that's closing will not open again quickly, so seize the opportunity when it presents itself. Mahi, what is that? Mazutra Amar Smicha. If you have, you know, this was the Smicha going all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu, and um, it was, you know, and it was at a certain time, it was actually very precarious whether it was going to be able to continue. So if you're in a position and you're being offered Smicha, then, um, you know, seize the opportunity when it presents itself. Um, so Smicha, 
Ravashi said, anybody who does, it's bad is done to him will not, um, you know, quickly be done good to him. So it sounds like something actively bad, but it also can mean that, you know, that again, that it was bad because you lost the opportunity. It's not going to quickly get that opportunity again. Could be understood to be similar to the earlier point. You'll, you know, you'll never be good again. The lowy, that's not true. That was what happened in his particular case. In his particular case, he had an opportunity to get a position of authority and he let it pass by and he was never able to get it again. So that made him, you know, me be more pessimistic and say you'll never get it again rather than it'll be hard to get it again. Tosas actually points out that in a different Gemara, about in that story itself, where that opportunity passed him up, up, he said, you know, he said it won't quickly present itself again. So Tosas says, well, initially he said it won't quickly happen again and then after he didn't get it and he never got it again he switched his tune and he said if you lost an opportunity you'll never get it again it's a little sad commentary okay uh, now we get to the one that seems to be most relevant for us and also you know a very shocking halachically so let's take a look um, and somebody who buys a house in Israel, you can write the, the, the deed even on Shabbos. So the Gemara says, Do you really think you could do it on Shabbos? How could you do it on Shabbos? Um, you know, that's a Melacha Like Rav said in a different case, no, 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 not you write it, you get it written. You tell a non Jew to write the deed. Okay, and that way you make it, you know, and that's maybe also similar to the previous point. An opportunity presents itself. You got to seize it. So it's an opportunity to get a. Uh, to buy property in Israel, we want Jews to own property. You seize it and you get the non-Jew to do it, even though obviously normally you could not tell a non-Jew to do malacha. Here we allow it. Um, so the same way Rava said that case about a different case about telling a non-Jew here too. You tell a non-Jew. Even though obviously telling a non-Jew to do malacha on Shabbos is a rabbinic violation. In order to settle Eretz Yisrael, the rabbis um, did, you know, did not make a gzera and permitted it. This leads to a big question about when is Amira Lagoy permissible? Is Amira Lagoy permissible only for, you know, to do a, you know, for a mitzvah like Eretz Yisrael? So can, is it Amira Lagoy permissible for any mitzvah? So um, there's a radical position, you know, the Tosos quotes of the, um, of the Hilchus Gedolos that said that you're allowed to do Amira Lagoy for a Doraita, not only for, um, you know, for uh, Yishuver Tisrael, like this case, but even for Brismila. Now, maybe that's only Brismila because Brismila itself is Dochel Shabbos. So the case there was like Machshire Brismila. The act of Brismila is Dochel Shabbos, but not, let's say, if you have to, you know, bring the knife or sharpen the knife or, you know, bring the baby or some type of a thing like that. And the Bahag allows Amira Lagoy for things relating to the Brismila. Um, and there was some opinion that we even allow Amira Lagoy for a Doraisa for, you know, for other Tzarche Mitzvah, um, especially things that are, let's say, so that's part of a discussion in halacha. There's the opposite extreme doesn't allow a Lagoy, even for, for a Durabanan, what's called a shvus to shvus b'makam mitzvah, doesn't allow even an Amira for a Durabanan for sake of a mitzvah. The general consensus is that a Lagoy is permitted for a Durabanan for the sake of a mitzvah, but not for a Doraita for the sake of a mitzvah. And the case here of Eretz Yisrael is an exception. Okay, just to end this, um, um, Amr Rabbi Shmuel Ben Achmeni, Amr Rabbi Yonasan, 
Somebody purchases a, a town in Israel, the land of Israel, right? I mean, well, you know, it's like beyond my understanding what it means to own a whole town. But anyway, you force the person to also purchase pathways from all four directions, which I don't exactly understand. I guess it means that if somebody else owns the path, they can close off access. So you have to purchase the path to ensure that the access from other places to there and there to other places is always open. Okay, we will stop here for now.